Welcome to Brain Health Breakthroughs, where we help you get smarter, think faster, remember more, and feel happier and healthier, too. I'm Peggy Sarlin, and today we're going to explore the magical, mysterious kingdom of sleep. We all need to get to sleep and stay asleep and get the right kind of sleep. But how do you do that? Especially in a time of such turmoil when so many of us are filled with anxiety that keeps us awake. Sleep is complicated, but my guest today has a talent for making it simple. Dr. Michael Bruce is a clinical psychologist who's been named as the top sleep specialist in California. He's been on Dr. Oz more than 40 times and has written best-selling books on sleep. His new book is Energize, Go from Dragging Ass to Kicking It in 30 Days. Welcome, Dr. Bruce. Why, thank you so much, Peggy. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here because we have so much to talk about with sleep. It's such a big topic. I I have a friend who's having trouble sleeping because she doesn't feel she deserves to sleep. Uh, she's got, uh, you know, this very ambitious to-do list, and then she doesn't accomplish it. And she feels she's got to push through that it would be weakness to to give in to sleep. And so I asked her, well, why don't you think of sleep as work? You're, you're working to recharge your body. You're working to recharge sure. your brain. So can you tell us what is the work of sleep? What is our body doing and, and what is our brain doing? So very interesting way to get into this question. I like, I like where you're coming from with this because it really helps people understand and ask that, that important question. So what does sleep actually do for us physically, right. emotionally, mentally, all of those things? So let's, right. let's break that down. So I like to break it down into three specific areas. Uh, sleep helps us in the physical sense. Sleep helps us in the cognitive sense. And sleep helps us in the emotional sense. And I'm going to break mm -hmm. each one of those three down really quickly. So physically, we know that when you become sleep deprived, interestingly, it's very easy to tell you what happens when we don't get enough sleep. It's very difficult to tell you what happens when we have all the sleep that we need because nobody uh -huh. does that research. People only do research on the sleep deprivation side. So we really have a better understanding of what happens when we don't get the sleep that we're looking for. So physically, what happens? Well, uh, the things that most people out there experience, reaction time slows down. So you're not going to be very good at driving a car. Um, testosterone levels plummet. So you're, you're going to start to lose some of that energetic component. Uh, the ability to lose weight is out the window um, mm -hmm. from lack of sleep. Mm -hmm. um, those are just three small examples of some of the physical things that will occur during that period of time. The cognitive is also quite interesting. And by the way, Sleep, what area of sleep affects those physical things the most? Stages three and four sleep. We call this delta sleep, deep sleep, or even beauty sleep. It would actually qualify um, as officially beauty sleep. But this is the physical restoration that occurs. And it has a tendency to occur in the first third of the night. The cognitive is the second half. And that is the mental restoration, right? Mm -hmm. So this is where we move information from our short-term memory to our long-term memory. Um, this is where we process emotions. Um, and this is all done during REM sleep. That's some of the recent discoveries that we have uncovered is that not only are you moving information into your memorial 
sort of storage units, if you will, but you're also processing those memories um, as well as emotions. So as an example, when we have somebody who has a nightmare where they wake up from a disturbing dream, they were trying to process a difficult emotion and it became so difficult, they woke up from that and hmm. therefore have stopped the processing process. Wow. I didn't understand that's what a nightmare was. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. cool. That's kind of cool. (laughs) You talked about uh, one of the functions of sleep cognitively is to file memories from the hippocampus, which is short term to long term. And so the hippocampus is where Alzheimer's dementia problems start to set in. So you see the memory problems associated there, right? Absolutely. And you just reminded me of a physical thing that happens that I forgot to mention, which is very important to the exact thing that you just mentioned, which is Alzheimer's and dementia. This is something called the glymphatic system. So this was a relatively new discovery within the last seven or eight years where it's actually, I call it the waste management system of the brain, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the garbage collector shows up and pulls all of the bad proteins out of the brain. This only occurs during that physical restoration we just mentioned, stages three and four sleep. The proteins that it removes are called beta amyloid and tau. And we know that those proteins in particular have a tendency to wrap themselves around a neuron and strangle it. And that's called dementia. Yes, that's called dementia. Those, that's, that's the plaque. And so that, so if, if we understand that sleep with all its different stages and phases has very distinct housekeeping properties. There's the, right? There's the cleansing that you just mentioned that goes in the brain where the toxins get shoved out. And there's housekeeping that you mentioned, for instance, in relationship to appetite, where uh, I believe it's ghrelin, is that it? Uh, That uh, controls controls the appetite so that you won't, if you don't sleep uh, well, you're not going to be able to control your eating the next day. It will be, it will be much harder. And so, so there's there's so what about the uh, neurotransmitters that are responsible for mood highly affected right and so one of the things that we know is that mood regulation comes with some of the neurotransmitters that we've spoken about serotonin is a big one right and so when we look at how do your neurotransmitters change with your levels of positive sleep or sleep deprivation, it's pretty dramatic, actually. When we see people are sleep deprived, what ends up happening is their fight or flight hormones, their cortisol is very oftentimes very, very high, whereas that calming hormone being serotonin is oftentimes quite low. Um, And in many cases, and this actually gets back to what we were just talking about with food choices, um, because cortisol is running around in the brain at such a high level when you're sleep deprived, Your brain says, I don't like that. I want to calm down. So it wants serotonin to come on board. Easiest way to get to generate serotonin, eat a muffin, have a Snickers. Uh Oh, it's that (laughs) bad. Right. It's that quick grab food that we know is high processed sugar, not really good for us, but it's what we crave because those are comfort foods, if you will, because they make us feel comfortable because of this influx of serotonin. So the the lack of impulse control, um, for, yeah. There, there you go. And and another very important point that you made that I I think 
probably most people don't know is that you describe that there's the first part of the night when there's specific sleeping tasks, and then there's the second part of the night. And so if you skip any part, you're, you're, you're breaking up this, um, necessary cycle. I think you said the first part of the night was physical when you're doing, uh, tissue repair and that That's kind right. of stuff, the house. Yeah. Okay. And, it, the second part of the night is what? When you're making the neurotransmitters? Mm-hmm. The mental restoration. And believe it or not, here's what's interesting is if you really broke it down, it's actually the first third of the night is where we see that physical restoration. And the last third of the night is where we see that mental restoration. And so what I think you're leaning towards is when people wake up too early, don't get enough rest, what happens? They chop off that back end of the night mental restoration. This mm-hmm. is one of the big reasons why people wake up and say, Michael, I got brain fog. I, my, my brain isn't working in the mornings. I have, I have right. to drink a whole lot of coffee to, to just think straight. Well, that's because you purposefully knocked out that time when your body would have been going into REM sleep to a- avail you of all of those things. So you could wake up feeling refreshed. So this is super important. I hope people who are listening are getting kind of a a new respect for what sleep is. I mean, we all know we feel better when we sleep well, but somehow there part of us feels like it's it's in it's some way optional, and it really isn't. And so you're giving us information to understand it's got to be a complete night of sleep. We have we have certain tasks that that we must accomplish in order to uh, energize ourselves to. Take the title of your new book uh, for the day ahead, and we have to give it our full consideration of how we're going to handle our schedule, you know, in our day. So, th- this is super important. What about uh, when we're talking about the the physical functions? What does sleep do for our immune system? Because we're all obsessed with our immune system now. We sure are, aren't we? <laughs> so, so of course, with the with the uh, occurrence of COVID, and we've all been dealing with all of that. Immune function is very much in the front of most people's minds. So, what's very interesting, and what's a great thing to know is that our immune function is actually has a large sleep component to it. Sleep has a dramatic, dramatic effect on immunity in one particular area, and that is the production of growth hormone, which occurs during stages three and four sleep. Again, beauty sleep, deep sleep, first third of the night, um, because during uh, that stage of sleep, when growth hormone is produced, um, that growth hormone sends a signal to produce killer T cells which are white blood cells that fight viral infection. So there you go. so if there you, you go. don't get enough stage three, four sleep, even though it's at the beginning of the night, there are some things that can happen in your lifestyle that can change your ability to get stage three, four sleep. One of them is alcohol. The other is caffeine. Mm. And we can talk about that at length as mm-hmm. well. Those have that, it, that time, that stage three, four sleep is critical, critical, critical for your immune function and getting those killer T cells and white blood cells up and running. All right. So you've just convinced everybody listening there's no good reason to <laughs> not prioritize sleep. I don't want to hear anything about your to-do list and how you didn't cross off all the items. Your top of your to-do list, get enough sleep, right? We've got, you exactly. know. Exactly. I love where okay. you're coming from, Peg. That's awesome. <laughs> That's where I'm coming from. All right. So we talked a little bit uh, 
through through the subject of the immune system, we kind of uh, entered into the huge topic of this insane time we're living in with COVID and lockdown and everything uh, right. kind of uh, in total turbulence all the time all around us. So you're a sleep doctor. In the middle of all this terrible times, what what are they experiencing with sleep? So there's three things that are occurring, I, I would argue, that are um, directly related to the pandemic that has caused people's sleep to spiral into a poor direction. Um, the very first one is a complete lack of schedule, um, especially in the early times of COVID where people were told to shelter in place and everybody was not allowed to go out of their homes. What ended up happening is nobody got up at the same time anymore because you right. didn't have a commute. So people would roll out of bed, throw on a ball cap and do their Zoom meeting um, and have no morning routine. The consistency uh-huh. of the wake up time and the morning routine that follows is what is going to give you energy throughout your entire day. It's really the, the, the starting point. And the closer you can be to keeping that consistent, the better off you're going to be in general um, a, across the board. So understanding the consistency of your uh, of your wake up time actually is the thing that helps bring all of your sleep together. Well, in all your books that I've read, in all of our discussions that we've had in the past, you've really stressed how much, well, sleep is part of the circadian rhythm. Whether or not you're going to commute to your work, you know, whether you're going to go <laughs> slap on the train, the sun is still going to come up when it's supposed to come and set right. when it's going to set. And our bodies are attuned to that natural rhythm. And so, so when people are coming into you and and saying they have sleep trouble, you're telling them to, even if they have a freedom, uh, no structured day, that they should create a consistent structure. Is, is that is that right? That's exactly what I'm saying is creating a structure for your day not only is good for you from a productivity standpoint, but is important to you from a sleep standpoint. But I didn't talk about the other two factors aside from schedule, which is the number one factor. The other two factors are movement. People just stopped moving. They yeah. weren't, it was, you know what I, I mean? You're in the house, you, you're fearful to go outside. So you slow down on your exercise. You're not moving as much. You're not taking as many walks. If you don't do something, sleep is recovery, right? If you don't do something to recover from, your body doesn't want to sleep. So that movement turns out to be an incredibly important factor for people. So Keeping a consistent wake-up time, notice I didn't say bedtime, but wake-up time turns out to be more important than bedtime, and moving every day, multiple times a day, will absolutely help you with your sleep. And then the third area um, has to do with what I mentioned earlier, which is substance abuse, caffeine Uh, and alcohol in particular. You know, it's interesting you say that about caffeine. I I live in Manhattan. And uh, when the lockdown hit, things got really bad. I went to live with my brother because everything was completely nuts in Manhattan. And he put me up in his attic. And I would go downstairs and make myself my cup of coffee and then go back to the attic. 
But it was too much work to go down all the way and make myself my usual customary second cup of coffee. I was just too lazy. And I noticed for the first time in years, maybe decades, I could sleep. And this was, this was at the height of all the anxiety with the world falling apart. I was sleeping more soundly than I had, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 years because all because of this. Because of not having two cups of coffee in the morning, just having one. And that is exactly what we're seeing. Uh, so we did an informal survey. So this isn't data that was done through a study, but informally we reached out to many of my followers and we asked them, you know, have you increased caffeine? Have you increased alcohol, cannabis, all the different things that are available out there? And um, here's what we got. 17% increase in caffeinated beverages, 23 mm-hmm percent increase in alcohol. Um, Uh And this was the this was the most interesting one. And this is real data that came from, um, I want to say it was from the National Sleep Foundation, but I'm not positive. It looked at prescription pill sleeping pill prescription from start of COVID forward 23% increase 23%. I mean, we're talking about almost one in four people who were out there were considering sleeping pills like that's crazy data if you think about it like we we don't see increases like that in short periods of time maybe from year to year you might see a two a four maybe even a five percent increase we're talking 23 percent. that's nuts that's it's nuts it's terrifying it's sad it's sad it has a lot of implications let's talk actually about that uh Sleeping pills are, are a big, big deal. It's a big, big deal mm-hmm. to take them. They have side effects. They have repercussions. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to those people that they're on those pills? Absolutely. So first of all, I want to make something very, very clear. If you and your doctor have decided that a sleeping pill is appropriate for you, this discussion is not about changing your mind. That is a discussion to have between you and your doctor. I want to be very clear about that. I don't want anybody to just pull themselves off of a sleeping pill willy-nilly because that can be a big, big problem. People can get something called rebound insomnia. It can last for four or five days. It's a mess. So I want to be clear. If people are out there on sleeping pills, there are many, many reasons why a sleeping pill is an appropriate choice. To be fair, it's not my first choice for my patients. I try to find different things that are going on to that might point to reasons why they are having insomnia. And then if I cannot find any other reasons, a sleeping pill might be advantageous merely to break the cycle of insomnia. So many people, right. they get wrapped in this cycle where I'm only getting three hours a night, four hours a night, three hours a night. Michael, it's I, I'm losing my mind. That's when we would put somebody on a sleeper for maybe two to three months regulate their sleep schedule, get the, get everything aligned, and then slowly taper them off over the course of another three to four months. That would be an appropriate use of sleeping pills. And by the way, there are some people out there who've been on sleeping pills for 5, 10, 15 years. That is also completely appropriate if you're working with your doctor and that's something that you and your doctor have decided to do. I will be honest with you, Peggy. There are many, many cases that I have gotten in our clinic where doctors just left people on sleeping pills for extended periods of time, didn't really manage them, and all of a sudden now they're stuck addicted to sleeping pills. And we have a whole second problem on our hands. We don't just have insomnia. We have a pill problem as well. 
Well, this is super important, and we'll get into the alternatives. We're, we're, we're about to get into that when you say, you know, we're going to manage the problem, so you're going to take us how you do that. But be, before we do, uh, since we're talking about medications, people who are under such stress, who who, who aren't sleeping, who, who uh, are coping with the enormity of what's going on, must also, what are, what are the figures on uh, prescriptions now for antidepressants or anti-anxiety drugs. How's that going? Through the roof as well. Through the roof. Uh, almost yeah. identical yeah. numbers to the sleeping pill prescriptions. Up 23% or so, yeah. something it's, like that. It's roughly 20 to 25% somewhere in there. So it's, it's really quite remarkable um, when we think about it. And you know, like, it's not the kind of stress that you would normally think about, right? And so we all have stress in our lives. Nobody's out there historically before COVID and thinking, I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about my mom's health, my kid's health, my family's health, my extended health, my friend. Like, we never had that before, but now right. we do. So number one, we're worried, Number which is an increased level of stress. Number two, every time you walk out the door, you, you're concerned that you could catch COVID, right? And so that's a whole different kind of stress that is now, it's it's constant, so we now have these new layers of stress that are literally weighing heavy on our shoulders, on our minds, whatever you know metaphor you want to use. And that is absolutely having an effect on sleep, number one, but on two, depression and anxiety. Um, we've seen record numbers of depression and anxiety. I mean, there are many places where people can't get in to see a therapist. Like therapists are booked for the unforeseen future because people are so upset with being stuck indoors hmm. and not being able to have their social um, aspects to their lives. And do antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds, if you're on them long term, mm -hmm. do they have impact on sleep? Do they become addictive? You know, are there issues with them? So here's what's interesting. I'm not aware of any literature that would suggest that an antidepressant would become um, addictive. I am aware of anti-anxiety medications becoming addictive because in the old school anti-anxiety medications, we used what were called benzodiazepines. Benzodiazepines mm -hmm. have a very high addictive profile uh, to them, which is one of the reasons why we try not to use benzodiazepines so much now um, in, in current right. times. Um, but yes, there are some of those medications. A perfect example, um, Valium, right? So yeah. Right. right. Valium was an anti-anxiety medication. You know, uh, what was it? Uh, the Rolling Stones called it mother's little helper, I think. Yeah, right? a household um, word. <laughs> right. And, and, and that became a, a sleeping, an anti-anxiety, a sleep aid, and then everybody was addicted to Valium. So it definitely has some of those. But I, I, I would argue I, I'm not aware of any data that would suggest that antidepressants can become addictive. Okay. So now let's get into it of, you know, what you do mm -hmm. as a sleep doctor that other doctors don't do and don't know how to do. So let's say I come to you mm -hmm. and I say, Dr. Bruce, uh, I'm going crazy. I can get to sleep, but at three in the morning, I wake up, I'm wide mm -hmm. awake, I'm filled mm -hmm. with anxiety, I can't get back to sleep. Help me. What are you going to do? Great question. So the first thing that I like to do in that type of situation is number one, I look for possible external causes. 
All right. So what's going on in the environment? Is your, are you in a noisy environment? As an example, do you have a noisy bed partner, somebody who snores? Um, is there a dog in the room? Are you in an environment that is too hot, too cold? Um, all of these things can actually have a pretty big effect on your ability to fall back to sleep and to maintain sleep. So I look externally first and I have people do an evaluation of their bedroom, right? So you'd be surprised how many people sleep I fix with them getting a new pillow, by the way. Um, it's ah. remarkable. Um, so again, external can have a big effect. The second area that I look at is internal. So we run blood work and we want to understand, do, do people have deficiencies in any of the vitamins, hormones, or minerals that are important for sleep? The four that I like to look at are iron, melatonin, magnesium, and vitamin D. These four have dramatic effects on the sleep cycle. If somebody comes to me and says, Michael, I'm waking up in the middle of the night, I kind of want to know where their magnesium is and where their vitamin mm -hmm. D is. But before we start walking down another path, if it's something as simple as giving them a, a magnesium supplement, let's do that and make everybody's life a lot easier. Right. So that's step number two is, is our body deficient? And if it is, let's fix that deficiency and let's see what happens to your sleep. Okay, let's say that there's nothing in the environment and let's say our bodies are in good shape so far. What's the next thing that we should do when considering going back to sleep in the middle of the night? So there are three different metrics that are important for you to know or pieces of information that are important for people to know. Number one, it's impossible to fall asleep. Well, it's not impossible, but it's hard to fall asleep with the heart rate above 60. Okay, so let's say you wake up in the middle of the night. What's the first thing that most people do? What do you usually do if you wake up in the middle of the night? Oh, you look at the clock. So number one, what most people do is they look at the clock. I want to be clear about something. This is the worst possible thing you can do, <laughs> right? Because you, you instantly okay, the worst, do the, the mental worst. math, right? You instantly do that math and you say, oh no, it's 3.30 in the morning. I've got to get up at six. Sleep, sleep, sleep. And you try to force yourself to go back to sleep. I don't know about you, Peggy, but... That doesn't work very well for me or for anybody. The way you're describing it, you must go to sleep. You, you know, it's you, you just getting filled with anxiety, with cortisol, adrenaline. It's you just... guessed it. Exactly. So what's <laughs> happening on the biology level is you're getting upset. And that, uh, that being upset uh, kicks in your sympathetic nervous system, which overrides with cortisol. And now you have a brain full of cortisol. You're certainly not going to fall asleep because of the anxiety of looking at that clock. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I tell everybody not to look at the clock and everybody still <laughs> looks at the clock. They okay, don't so listen to you. They, they disobey you. They, they do, but that's okay. That's okay. I've, I have a workaround for everybody listening. So you don't have to worry about this. Okay. Okay. So, one, the second thing that I want people to know and understand is sleep is a lot like love. The less you look for it, the more it shows up. You don't have to go on a dating app for sleep, is that? You do not. <laughs> exactly. Right? When you're not, it's just like when you're trying to find that person in your life, you never find them. But the second you stop, that person wanders right in. Sleep is exactly the same way. You have to relax and allow it to occur. Okay, mm -hmm. don't look at the clock, but I'm going to look at the clock anyway. Uh, try to relax. Michael, that's not very good advice. Can you give me something that's a little bit more tactical? few things that I can do. Absolutely. I'm going to tell you about data on something called non-sleep deep rest. So this, ah. is a this is a whole new area that's very, very fascinating. Oh, cool. Where you're lying down 
in a supine position, the lights are off, your eyes are closed. You're not asleep. You are relaxing. There is data to suggest that this is rejuvenative. If you lie there for an hour, it's worth about 20 minutes of sleep. Aha. So in the middle of the night, if you are lying awake, just relaxing, you're still getting a level of rejuvenation. So when you look at that clock and you say to yourself, oh, shoot, I've got two and a half hours left of sleep. Instead, what I want you to say is, this is awesome. Dr. Bruce reminded me that if I lie here and relax, I'm still going to get benefit from lying here and relaxing. I'm going to keep my eyes closed and just relax and see what happens. That lowers that level of anxiety, allows the natural sleep process to take over. And nine times out of 10, people will fall back to sleep. Nice. Let's say that you can't turn off your brain in that part. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're trying really hard and you're saying, (laughs) Dr. Bruce, I'm trying hard, but I just can't stop thinking about that thing I got to do tomorrow and my kid and blah, blah, blah. Two other things that we can throw out there for people that can make their lives easy. We got to lower that heart rate. Easiest way to do that is with four, seven, eight breathing. This is a a great breathing technique developed by Dr. Andrew Wilds, used by Uh the Navy SEALs. It's fantastic. You breathe in for a count of four, you hold it. For a count of seven, you breathe out for a count of eight. Um, the physiology on this is quite interesting, but trust me on this, it dumps your heart rate in about six cycles to well below 60. This is then the time that will allow you to fall back asleep as long as you're not stressed out, knowing that you're lying there in non-sleep deep rest. Well, when you're talking about the four, seven, eight uh, breathing, which... Um, mm-hmm. I know of. Actually, I became a health coach last year. Amazing. And, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Andrew Weil was one of the instructors and he, he pushed 478. So, uh, I've been trying it. What strikes me is that the essence of the anxiety when you wake up and your heart rate's going and you got the cortisol flooding is that you feel out of control. That's I can't, correct. I need sleep and I can't control it. You're telling us regain control. It's not yes. that hard. Exactly. Feel, understand you have tools. You can actively, it's, it, it seems counterintuitive. There's an action that promotes sleep. So, so you're in control. Just lie there. You're lying on your back, right? And, mm-hmm. and you're just closing your eyes and you're breathing in for four. You're holding for seven and you're, um, expel, expelling the breath through your no, through your mouth. Is it through your nose that you exhale or your, or your mouth? So it, so here's the good news is if you can do it all through your nose, you should try. But if you do have nasal congestion, it'll be a very futile attempt. It's okay to, um, to breathe, uh, out through your mouth if you need to. Okay, so you've got the four, seven, eight breathing, which you can, mm-hmm. uh, if you forget, you can refresh yourself with Dr. Andrew Weil on YouTube demonstrating it. Cause, mm-hmm. And now you've got a means of control, so you don't have to have the panic. And mm-hmm. the more tools like this, the better. Yep, and so here's another little piece of advice for some people who wake up in the middle of the night. So one of the things that a lot of people think about when they wake up is they say, well, I'm up, I might as well go to the bathroom, right? Right. This is not a good idea. Now, I want to be clear about something. I'm not saying that going to the bathroom is a bad idea. I'm saying going to the bathroom if you don't need to is a bad idea. So remember our heart rate, we want our heart rate to be at 60 or below. 
When you go from a supine position to a seated position to a standing position and you walk across the room, mm-hmm. guess what happens to your heart? I'm guessing the rate rises. <laughs> exactly. Right? So many people will wake up, really not have to go to the bathroom, have no pressure on their bladder, but say, I'm up. I might as well. Terrible idea. Once again, Terrible idea. lie there, non-sleep, deep rest, chill out, and you'll be fine. I want to be clear. If you wake up and you got to pee, please go pee. <laughs> Permission granted yep. from the sleep doctor. You bet. So, all right, just to recap, we... um if you're if somebody comes in with a sleep problem, you've checked the physical environment. They've got they've kicked out the snoring husband. They've kicked out <laughs> the dog that's licking them at two in the morning. Exactly. They've gotten the room darker, probably. They got a nice pillow. And if they still have problems, you've checked their mineral, their vitamin and, and minerals. Do you st- vitamin D, magnesium, iron, and what was the fourth one? Melatonin. Was melatonin, the famous melatonin. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you've given them the four seven eight breathing technique. Mm-hmm. Um, what else can you do? When we were talking, you mentioned. Um, doing looking at their uh, genetic profile. Yes, so and then so let's talk about that because I think you said most people don't know about this most doctors don't know about it. So let's get the word out. Absolutely. So one of the things that I do with some of my more advanced patients is we do genetic screening for sleep disorders. So I think I'm one of the only people in the country that does this, but we can take your 23andme data or your ancestry.com data. You can believe it or not download that into a data file and send it to me. I can then use an algorithm that we can cross across all of your genetic data and we match with 74 different sleep markers that we know are in your genetics and we see which ones you have. Then I literally get a genetic roadmap for just you. So I don't have to give generalized recommendations. I can say, Peggy, you have a 26% chance of having obstructive sleep apnea in the future, so here's what we're going to do. Or, hey, Peggy, you have a 75% chance of having restless legs, and we know that women have low iron, and we know that low iron can lead to restless legs, so let's monitor your iron and make sure you don't get restless legs. So that's how we do it. Genetically, you can see this person is, has a propensity for restless leg syndrome and absolutely sleep apnea. And what are some of the other things you can see? It's, so it's there's a crazy. whole host of different things you can learn about. You can learn about teeth grinding. You can learn about apnea. You can learn about restless legs. You can learn about sleep quality. You can learn about sleep length and you can learn about something called your chronotype. Um, so chronotype is kind of the thing that I'm a big guy for. Yeah, you're um, a big think, guy on that. We know that. <laughs> and, I, and I've talked quite a bit about it. But yes, chronotype is right there on your genetic uh, roadmap. So in other words, whether you're a night owl or early riser, is it, mm-hmm. you got that from your great, 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 great grandfather? You sure did. Absolutely. And, and think about it. You can probably see where some of those genetics lie. As an example, I have always been a night owl. I mean, I've always just, the night is my time. It's always been my time. (laughs) I can remember when I was eight years old, walking into my parents' bedroom at 1030 at night, everybody was awake. Nobody was doing it. I'd walk back in at 11. Everybody was awake. So (laughs) both of my parents were night owls. I'm an only child. So I end up whoosh becoming a night owl as well. Okay. And interestingly enough, my wife 
is a night owl. Now, I will be fair, I didn't choose her because of that particular <laughs> characteristic, nor did I actually even know what chronotypes <laughs> were way back when I met her because we were dating before I became a sleep specialist. But we always went out. I'd say, what time do you want to get up? Me pick you up. She'd say, oh, eight o'clock. We'd have to start dinner at 8.30 till about 9.30, 10, go to the movies until midnight, go get a drink afterwards, come home at two. We wouldn't think anything about it. Now, if you were an early bird, you'd never date me. <laughs> you were destined for each other. <laughs> I think so. So, um, is there any, if there are any, uh, doctors or medical professionals, healthcare professionals listening, is there any advice you want to give them about, uh, looking at, uh, sleep health through this lens, which they yeah. may not be used to doing? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the one thing I would say is we're in the early stages of understanding how to really utilize this data appropriately. So that's number one. Number two, really knowing and understanding that you have patients that have got genetic proclivities for sleep disorders, for disrupted sleep and things like that is an advantage to you because now you've got some data to really lean on to try to decide what do I need to do next. So let me give you an example. I gave one example with restless legs, but let me give another example with, for example, sleep apnea, which is what most doctors who are sleep specialists specialize in. So right. why would I want to have genetic study on somebody who doesn't look like a person who would have sleep apnea, meaning they don't have a thick neck, they're not overweight, things of that nature? Well, here's the thing. Let's say they had a 75% chance of getting sleep apnea over the course of their lifetime, but they're very lean. Here's what I would do. I would make sure that they understood the relationship between weight gain and sleep apnea. And then we would make sure that they stayed within a comfortable weight for them because we don't want them to eventually grow into that sleep apnea. So that's a great way that physicians out there could know and understand and utilize this data in a way and present it to their patients so that everybody's on board, knows what the plan is to avoid sleep apnea. Well, you bring up sleep apnea, and that's something just to touch on for for a second again about the the lockdown and and the devastation that it's wrought. I think I saw that the average American gained fifteen pounds. I mean, something extraordinary, something totally extraordinary. So, in it, so uh, the more weight you gain, the more you're at risk of sleep apnea. Are you seeing more apnea, or is there, or statistically, is that happening out there? Oh yes, we're seeing oh, the weight yes. gain. We're seeing the sleep apnea. We're really seeing the report of snoring more um, because that seems to be the first kind of thing. And to be fair, people didn't want to go into hospitals or clinics and get tested, especially during the early stages of COVID. The good news is that we actually now have home-based sleep tests. So we can uh, mail something to somebody's home and they can take the test in their home, mail it back, um, and then we can receive the data from that for things like sleep apnea. So people don't have to worry there are tests available where you don't even have to go someplace. It'll show up at your doorstep. That That is a very good new thing to know about. There's a home-based sleep test where you can see uh, if you have sleep apnea and the quality right. of your sleep and the rhythm of your sleep. That is, that is wonderful to know. Let's talk about other new things. What's, what's wild and wonderful in the world of sleep in terms of, uh, you know, stuff people can get. That, that might help them. So there's a lot of stuff out there that people can think about to potentially improve their sleep. 
they kind of fall into different categories. Um, so let's talk about them if that's okay by category. I thought we could okay. start with the sleep trackers, perhaps if that's sleep okay. Sleep trackers, yeah. So some of the newest, latest, greatest technology that's out there are for people to track their sleep. Um, I personally have a, a ring. It's called an Aura ring that I, I measure my sleep with. Um, there are rings. There are uh, bracelets or, or uh, like watches, wristbands. Um, there are even things that people can put across their chest to monitor them in the evenings. Um, so there are a whole host of possible tracking devices. So that's number one. Number two, what do they track? Is it any good? And are they accurate is the real important question here. So most of them track heart rate, something called heart rate variability. Uh, some of mm -hmm. them track temperature. Um, and, and what they know is at certain stages of sleep, you have certain heart rates and certain blood okay. pressures. And so they can identify, they can say, oh, heart rate is this for this 30 seconds, then it must be this stage of sleep. And then they keep moving down the record to be able to say this. So it's algorithmically creating these sleep stages. Now, to be fair, there's nobody that's perfectly accurate, okay? The only way you're going to get perfect accuracy is if you actually go into a sleep laboratory that night. And here's the crazy part. There's night-to-night -night variability. So, Peggy, you could have a sleep study one night. You could have the same study the next night, and we could get different results um, right, about 15% right. of the time. So there's some night-to-night -night variability that occurs there that's important to understand. Bottom line, there was a study done that matched all the trackers up against one another and pitted it against full nighttime polysomnography. Only two trackers came out on top. One turned out to be the Aura Ring. The other turned out to be Fitbit. Those Fitbit. two trackers, oh, okay. those two trackers have got the best accuracy for three different data points, falling asleep, waking up, and total sleep time. Those mm -hmm. three data points, those two trackers are the most accurate according to the study, which I believe because it's published in a peer-reviewed journal um, to date. Aura then went one step further and they decided to take their uh, ring data and put it up against polysomnography for sleep stages um, and then published that data. And they have the most accurate sleep staging as well. So depending upon what you're looking for, um, an Aura ring could be a possibility. Um, a Fitbit could be a possibility. There's also something called a Whoop strap. This is a, a device that's <laughs> really, there um, <laughs> right. There, this is a device that's more, I would argue, for athletes. Um, uh, anybody can use it. I'm not saying that you can't use it, but it, they do a lot more work with activity um, and monitoring things like, um, you know, sports and uh, athletes and things of that nature. Um, not that the other ones don't, but that one in particular um, seems to be uh, available to that. So from a tracking standpoint, there are a lot of different options. I do want to mention very quickly that there is one thing that people have to be careful about. It's called orthosomnia. This is a situation where people just dig their nose into the data and then they get anxious about their own uh -huh. data. Uh -huh. so, uh -huh. so, so they track themselves too much, if too you will. Too much, okay? yeah. Yeah, well, I thought that must be what that word means because isn't orthorexia when people get super uh, anxious about food and calories exactly. and micrograms and everything? So that's kind of why I'm not attracted to doing this myself. Self. I don't want to give myself uh, anxiety about the experience. <laughs> right. Just so people know, an aura ring, I believe, is spelled O-U-R-A. That's the, right. Okay. So that's the ring that Dr. Bruce is talking about as being of particular high quality. Okay. So we can track our sleep uh, the ways you just mentioned. What else can we do? 
So there's actually some new napping technology, believe it or not. <laughs> no. I know you'd be like, there's napping technology, technology. Michael? What are you talking about? <laughs> what will they so, think of next? <laughs> I know, right? So um, I, I can't remember, but I think the last time we talked, I mentioned a technique that I had used with people called a nap a latte. This is where um, you you're going to take a nap, but you drink a, a cup of black drip coffee beforehand, take the nap. And then when you wake up, the caffeine kicks in, you've gotten some sleep, and you're really ready to go. Um, this is a, a well-known technique. I, I call it a Napa latte. It's been called the caffeine nap, <laughs> things like that. Here's what's interesting. A new company came out with something called Napjitsu, okay? And <laughs> this is quite fascinating. So what they did was they came up with a pill that had caffeine, but they have a second pill that has what are called nootropics. So for folks out there who don't know what a nootropic is, this is a herb or supplement, or in some cases, medication that can increase your mental alertness, that can increase memorial function. That's basically a smart pill, if you will. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what they did was they combined caffeine and nootropics that you take on a time release basis. So you take your nap and you wake up with energy and focus which is, again, something very, very different than just waking up with energy from the caffeine. So I thought that was a, a very interesting uh, new technology. And then there's two others that I want to briefly talk about. One um, is for sleep apnea. There's a new device called Excite OSA. Um, this is the device that you wear on your tongue during the daytime, and it replaces CPAP at night completely. Whoa. No mask, whoa, whoa, no hose, whoa. no headgear. I know what? this is revolutionary. Okay. What? I don't even understand how it would work. Let me explain. So you wear it during the daytime and it sends a mild electrical signal through your tongue. To be fair, you really can't feel it very much. If anybody out there has ever had a TENS unit, like on their lower back where you have that mild electrical stimulation, that's, it's basically a TENS unit for your tongue. Now, why on earth would you want it on your tongue? So as our, as we age, our tongue, the cells in our tongue actually fill up with some gunk, um, and stuff that happens and they actually become bloated and our tongues thicken over time. This mild signal actually helps the tongues get rid of that turn over these cells and they actually shrink in size. Now you might be wondering yourself, Michael, do I really want my tongue to shrink? Like what's the benefit <laughs> of something like that? Remember, the tongue is the thing that falls against the back of your throat and causes sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. So Correct. by reducing your tongue, you provide more room in the oral cavity and the tongue cannot fall back as far, thereby not producing said apnea. Now, this works best in people who have mild to moderate cases of apnea. I've put now four different patients on it. I've pulled them off their CPAP machines. It's remarkable. Um, this what I've been is able to brilliant. Do. This is Remarkable. totally brilliant. And nobody knows you're walking around in the day and doing your thing and at work yep. and nobody knows you're getting electrical stimulation on your tongue. No, 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 no. It's, it's a little bit different than that. So okay. it's about 20 right. minute session. You put oh. it in and it's got a battery that comes out. So it's very obvious that it's happening, but you only do it for 20 minutes during the daytime. That's, That's it? it. It's amazing. Okay, so this is a miracle thing I never heard of. And just tell us the name again so everybody it's can. Excite OSA, E X C I T E O S A dot com. It is by prescription only. So when you go to the website, there's a, I think there's an option where it's like find a doctor near me. Um, right. This is FDA approved. This is really good, really good science. Wow. Okay. I'm excited about Excite 
SOA. All right. So I love, you know, you're talking about nootropic because all these things. This is biohacking, which I'm, I'm really into and, and looking forward to, uh, bringing our audience these kinds of very innovative techniques that, even going back to the four seven eight breath, mm-hmm. uh, the, the concept is you have tools, you have techniques, you have methods, you have things that you have in your hand that put the power in you. So right. so you control your health, and if you do, well, you may not need that antidepressant, or you may not need that sleeping pill. You know, you're you have the knowledge of how to biohack your own system for, for maximum effects. Um, anything? Okay, so uh, we learned various new tracking techniques and new uh, d- snoring techniques, or is that the CPAP? So, well, there is something new for snoring that I really like. It's called the mute, M-U-T-E, like push the mute button. It's actually an internal nasal dilator. So folks out there may not be able to see this, but I'm sticking my fingers up my nose. Um, so it's actually <laughs> can, a small ring that goes <laughs> inside your nose. They don't hurt. They don't. You can barely feel them. After 30 seconds, you don't feel them. But it keeps the nose from ever collapsing to lower congestion, and it's great for snoring. Every time I drink alcohol, my wife says, go stick one of your nose thingies in, otherwise you're sleeping in the guest room. So Really? I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to say it. Mute. M-U-T-E, that's a, that's a really good one. Um, that's my favorite, actually. Um, and then we, we said before, Excite OSA. And then actually two weeks ago, um, a new drug was approved for insomnia. Um, this is a oh. brand new medication. Now, one of the things people might say is, don't you think we have enough drugs for insomnia, Michael? No, we do not. Now, remember, earlier mm-hmm. in our conversation, I told you I'm not a big fan of pharmacy. But I'm going to tell you something. Most of the drugs out there have more of a shotgun or a generalized approach where they just basically hit the front of the brain and they try to turn everything off. What I'm looking for. (laughs) Exactly. What I'm looking for is specificity. I'm looking for drugs that can find the sleep centers and affect the sleep center only, not making the whole brain collapse into, you know, relaxation, but to just hit the sleep centers. And so there are new medications that are trying to do that. So, you know, it's worthwhile to talk with your doctor if that's something that you're uh, trying to understand and see if maybe the new medication could be helpful for you. What's the name of the new medication? I knew you were going to ask me that. I cannot remember it. I think it's Indiron, but I'm not positive. I'm going to look it up while while we're talking here and I'll get back to you. Okay. Okay. So while you look it up, I'll just say that I think... um, We've learned a lot already. I mean, we, we've got a little more time, but uh, we've learned so much about the importance of sleep and about the need to prioritize it and about the way people have been affected during the lockdown and positive steps that you can take to enhance your ability to naturally go to sleep. Uh, one more thing. Are there new mattresses? Is there anything new in that world oh, wow. for sleep There's to biohack your sleep? So the name of the insomnia drug is called Quivig, Q-U-I, I'm sorry, Q-U-V-I-V-I-Q, Quivic. I don't know who makes up these drug names, but that's a terrible one. <laughs> I can't one. even um, say it. <laughs> I can't even say it either, but it's, it's actually, it's got some great data on it. So mattresses, you bet. Um, we've got a ton of new things that are going on in the mattress world. Um, one company, Purple, has done an excellent, excellent job of innovating. They have a very unique material called a grid. 
um, that allows for really awesome pressure relief as well as allowing for uh, cooling. So it's it's unique because it does both at the same time. Um, what do you mean most, by pressure relief? Is that something about pain or are we what, is, what are we it, talking about? It is. So for example, when you lie on a foam surface, the foam is still touching your body as your body depresses into it. And so as if it pushes back, it can cause pressure, right? Now, sometimes pressure is good. Pressure makes us feel supported. However, if if pressure pushes too much on our skin, it causes what we call capillary crush, which is that yeah. tingly feeling that you get. And that makes you have to move multiple times throughout the night. So what we want is we want support without pressure. This grid has a tendency to do that because there it's, it's literally X's and like, it's like a grid pattern, right? So it's like, if you looked, you know, rows, like a, like a piece of uh, graph paper, it looks like that. And it's inside wrapped around foam. And so it crushes or what we call buckles in a unique way that relieves almost all pressure whatsoever. So I would say that is definitely something that is uh, new um, and something that people can uh, learn more about um, from uh, Purple. Um, That's certainly something that's kind of refreshing uh, to see out there as well. Um, And then there's some cool pillows, believe it or not. You asked about I want to hear about your pillows. (laughs) There's some cool pillows for sure. Um, My favorite new company um, is called Pluto Pillow. Um, And here's what they do is you take a quiz online and then they will send you a pillow. And if you don't like it, they'll keep sending you pillows until you do. Oh, I I have to talk to Pluto because I'm so particular (laughs) about my pillow. I know. I'm excited. It's pretty cool. I have to travel with my pillow. (laughs) And there's one other really new thing that has recently come out and I'm here to talk about it. And it's my book. Oh, I was just going to get there. I was just going to get there. (laughs) Um, So uh, absolutely. So tell us um, a bit, doctor, about your your wonderful book, Energize, Go From Kicking Ass to Kicking It in 30 Days, which you co-wrote with Stacey. From Dragging Ass to Kicking Ass. Yeah, from Dragging. Okay, I I misspoke there. Um, So you wrote this with Stacey Griffith. And tell us about it. What's the point and what, what should we know about? It. So the book is ba- is really takes chronotypes, which we spoke of earlier, early bird and night owl, and it adds several different things to your chronotypical day. And so one of the things that Stacy and I tried to do was we wanted to understand more about energy. Like people come to us all the time. Oh, I'm low on energy. I get good sleep, but my energy is low. I exercise a lot, but my energy is low. Why is that? And so we decided to combine forces and create a program that has movement that has sleep and has intermittent fasting as the three components to keep you in an energetic profile that is positive all day long. Now, one thing I want to be clear about for people out there is if anybody out there has an eating disorder, intermittent fasting is not an option. Um, People who have eating disorders really shouldn't do time-restricted feeding. That's, again, a conversation for you to have with your therapist if if you do, in fact, suffer from an eating disorder. Well, when you talk about intermittent fasting and uh, uh, its effect on sleep and energy, this method of eating has been really brought to the forefront recently for dementia, for reversing it and for preventing it. And um, many of the eminent doctors I've interviewed in the past, like Dr. Dale Bredesen, um, have recommended it. So that sounds great. Um, all right. We're going to have to go. We've learned so much, but can you just tell us maybe, uh, 
a little bit more about Energize and about what we can expect, what the benefits uh, that we can expect if we follow your recommendations there? Absolutely. So what we did with Energize was we produced a program that within 30 days, no cost to you, all you have to do is learn how to move five times a day, <laughs> fast during a particular time frame, and sleep based on your chronotype. Those are the only three requirements we will show you within 30 days how you will have more energy than you've ever had in your life. And we break energy down into multiple types of energy. There's physical energy, there's spiritual energy, there's emotional energy. And we talk about how you can monitor your energy throughout your daytime to understand where you have those highs and where you have those lows, and then identify are there situations where that low energy is more prevalent, and then what can you do? What are the solutions to do that. So let me give you an example of an emotional energy problem that many people have and some solutions that people can have for that emotional energy problem. So I don't know about you, but I've got these people in my life. I call them emotional vampires. Okay. Mm -hmm. They just suck the life right out of you. Now, to be fair, sometimes these people are going through hard times and they may need your help, but we all know these people, there are people in our lives that just pull and take and take. And we have to guard our own energy and be safe with our own energy. So after we've dealt with one of these people and we might be feeling energetically low, is there a way that we can instantly bring ourselves back to an energy high? The answer is yes. And you don't need a pharmaceutical or a caffeine or a cup of coffee to do it. What you do is you laugh. Laugh? Absolutely. What happens when somebody tells you a joke? Your entire energetic profile changes. Um, you listen to your favorite music. One of my favorite stories is my son who hates to wake up in the mornings. We turned him into the morning DJ here at the house. And we said, you can put on whatever music you want starting at 7 a.m. at whatever volume you want, <laughs> but you have to be up at 7 a.m. to do it. Guess what? He started playing. You got to fight for your right to party by the Beastie Boys every morning. And we were all rocking around and having fun and singing. But it turned morning times at our house, which were not fun with a teenager, to a very pleasant and fun time and changed energetically. So the book is loaded with those types of pieces of advice, ways to identify low energy and ways to achieve much better sustainable energy without the highs and crashes. Well, Dr. Bruce, you've got good energy. <laughs> you really do. And I feel energized. Well, and uh, uh, I've really enjoyed our talk. It's, it's maybe the most important topic there is sleep. I, 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 sometimes I think it's more important even than food. Sleep, it just seems like uh, the starting point of good health. So tell us, uh, where can people who will be so eager to learn more about you, where can they find you. So I'm super easy to find. If you go to thesleepdoctor.com, doctor's all spelled out. That's my website. I'm on, uh, that's my handle on all social media. Um, or if you want to go to, um, uh, what is it? Energizemyself.com. You can learn all about the new book. Oh, energizemyself.com. And are you on Twitter or any of those kinds of things? I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on everything you can imagine, all at The Sleep Doctor. Doctor. Okay. So you're easy to find, and a lot of people are going to want to find you <laughs> after this interview. Absolutely. So thank you, and I'm wishing you a good night's sleep tonight. Why, thank you. Sweet dreams to you, my friend. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. 
thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter, Brain Health Breakthroughs, just click on the links in the description below. You're listening to Brain Health Breakthroughs, where we help you get smarter, think faster, remember more.